Welcome to the One Life Maps podcast. Here's your host and co-author of Listen to My Life, maps for recognizing and responding to God in my story, Sharon Swing. Welcome everyone. Today I have with me, oh, a favorite person, Steve Carter. Welcome. Hey, it is is an honor to be with you. I I I, I love your family. I miss you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> miss it's a, you here. yeah. <laughs> so it's a it's a gift to be on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, Ben. You've been on my list for so long. I don't know what took me so long. Just saying. <laughs> so, Steve became a friend of uh, of my sons and then mine, and uh, at a time uh, when we were both at Willow Creek, yeah. and. It has been such a joy and privilege and pleasure to just have your energy infuse mm. my life and how much energy you're teaching infused in so many of us. Um, and it's still alive and well. So right now you're traveling, actually not traveling, but you're traveling <laughs> via Zoom or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy. I think last year I did... 190,000 miles in the air. So traveling for teaching and God was opening some incredible doors and, and we were on pace for that. Um, this, this 2020 and within 36 hours, um, 2020 got wildly open due to the effects of COVID and yet some wild things happened where, uh, as people shifted services online or their attention to the services that are online um, opportunities started coming in. And, you know, like last weekend I spoke in three different churches and never left my house. So it's, <laughs> it's this weird time. And so it's kind of like, I'm grateful that God is still getting to uh, use the gifts that he's given to me. And, um, and I'm grateful for the time with my family okay. and it feels so, so foreign. Like I've never experienced this many Sundays in my life, not being at church. Yeah, so it's so a weird. Pastor that lives next door that, uh, that they're around on Sunday mornings. Yeah, and they're like, "Wow, this is strange <laughs> and awesome." And we're washing our cars because we <laughs> we recorded the service on Wednesday. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Just a very strange set of circumstances. So um, we'll, we'll wait till the end to tell people what you're up to and how they can get in touch with you. But um, Steve, a lot of times I ask at the beginning of these podcasts, can you describe a time for us where God's presence was particularly tangible to you? Wow, that's a great question. <clears throat> yeah, you know, I think um, I think there's honestly, many moments where I could, I could describe um, the power of, of God's presence. Um, you know, and you've got all the, the, the highlights when you are bestowed a gift that you don't deserve in another person, or I could talk about moments of um, just feeling that whisper, that prompting or that nudging to, you know, kind of be strong and courageous. I, 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 I could talk about the birth of my kids. Um, mm -hmm. But I think one of the biggest pieces for me where I discover the presence is um, in the ministry of reconciliation. And um, I, I, you know, you, you know a little bit of my story, but I didn't grow up in 
uh, a Christian home. I grew up in a home where, you know, my dad, before he knew Christ, he, um, he would say three things to me. Um, he would, he would say something wise, something funny, or he'd cuss me out. And that, that was my childhood. I, I, I could tell by the way he walked by like the pace, by his posture, if I could talk to him um, on the drive home from school, just by the way he walked. And I learned, I learned how to read a room for my own survival and my home. And thanks be to God, um, my dad came to faith on my 19th birthday, still while we lived in Southern California and God just did a, an amazing work. Um, but you know, transfer transformation doesn't happen overnight, you know, and, um, there were a lot of changes that were beginning to happen within him. Um, but probably 2013, 2014, um, he, he, he was having a bad day. And like when I was nine at times, uh, I would become the punching bag. And for some apparent reason, uh, as a 30-year-old man, um, my dad felt like he could just go off on me. And it, it was kind of this weird thing because that hadn't happened for years. But the things that he had been saying felt like he had just stored up for years. And I uh, just realized, like, I, I'm, I need some space. I need to have boundaries. And so I just, I just clearly said, Hey, I need some boundaries. This is, this is, I don't let anybody talk to me that way. Um, and I, I just kind of went through this time of, of prayer and I didn't know if I would talk to my dad again, to be honest. I, I just, I knew for my own safety. I knew from some of the trauma of my childhood. I just knew like, this isn't, this isn't what was going to be best. And I'll never forget. I, I was in South Carolina at a Starbucks and it was probably six 30 in the morning and I was getting a cup of coffee and I was doing some message prep while I'm on vacation, which is not vacation. Um, so I was already sinning and I got a notification on my phone, um, that I had a new Facebook message. And so I, I'm like, okay. And I click on it and it's my dad. I haven't talked to him for 18 months. Not a day had gone by that I had not prayed for the opportunity or prayed for the prompting. And my dad said, hey, I know it's been a while and you have every right to not want to talk to me, but I'm really sorry. And I'm asking that maybe two guys who are trying to follow Jesus might be able to get coffee sometime. If you're open, let me know. And I read that, and even as I read it now, um, I, just, uh, I, just, I just knew that what I'd been praying for was like a softening of the heart. Um, my dad was going through leukemia and a bone marrow transplant. He had, you know, there was so much in his life that wasn't going the way that he expected it. And yet, there was still so much anger. And I watched this softening and I just felt like part of me out of my fear was like, don't go, don't go. You're gonna get, this is a setup. Don't go. And yet I just felt like, I don't know, you're about reconciliation. And that began this uh, multi-year, once a month 
drive to Michigan, have coffee once a month, drive to Michigan, have a meal, you know, and I'll tell you what, um, you know, he, he passed a year ago and, um, I miss him. And I, 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 I think about that moment when I got that email and that prompting of the Lord to like, let's, let's never give up on someone. Let's never give up on someone that an old dog can learn some new tricks. Um, and, um, towards the end of his life, like you were just, we were just best friends, you know, he was, he, and, um, and what I wouldn't give, you know, even Sunday is father's day and, uh, what I wouldn't give, um, for one more conversation. And so I think about that moment is when you ask that question is, um, never to give up on someone's heart being able to change. And when that time comes, having the courage to go. Well, I'm so sorry for your loss. And I'm so happy that you had the courage to say yes to that prompting. Thanks be to God. <laughs> Thank you. No kidding. And yeah, so our stories get intertwined with these experiences of God and, and who we see him to be. And I've listened to a lot of your messages over the years. And, and I'm sorry. I, <laughs> <laughs> those ideas are very intertwined in how you talk about spiritual growth and how you talk about just uh, living the Christian life is, you know, this, this idea of, of knowing and understanding your story. Where did that come from for you? It's just the, it's the language of the world, right? I mean, um, when you begin to, to discover um, just how people kind of connect, um, it's not really in the exchange of factual information. Um, people will nod their heads with that. But even from an early age, when you s would kind of sit around a campfire and you would watch and listen to dads and moms tell stories. And you would, you would hear someone tell an old tale. And you'd watch all the kids lean in. And then you hear someone else try and tell a story. And you just kind of, people start like checking out and hitting each other. And then somebody else would tell a story. And everyone would lean in. And, and I, I, before I was, a, uh, was going into study biblical studies, emphasis on preaching. I was a film major and, you know, film is about story. Film is about, uh, obviously capturing stories, you know, and even photography that, that word means to, um, capture, capture the light, you know, and, and, and literally write about the light. That is like literally when you're capturing you. So everything has been about this sense of, um, how, how do I tell the best stories, but also what makes up a great story? And then when you start seeing the scriptures, as I began to study, taking what I learned in film, and then seeing what I learned around a campfire as a kid, and now like unpacking these, these biblical narratives um, that I go, these were, these were stories. 
stories that were handed down before there was the, the printing press. You know, they were stories that um, people could remember and they wanted to, to tell and retell and retell again. And, and even the, 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 the Hebraic story is how they even write themselves into uh, the Exodus. You know, if you ever kind of are in Jerusalem and you get to take part in Shabbat, like a meal on a Friday night, they'll say things like, when we were enslaved in Egypt, they like write themselves back in that story because they never want to forget it. And I, I just um, have been so marked with that. And I realized sometimes, you know, again, as, you know, working with students for so many years, you realize kids and students are very perceptive. They're not always the best interpreters of reality, right? And so you, you've got to do work to make sure, okay, I'm telling a story, but then how, how are people perceiving and how are people properly interpreting? And those sometimes are differences. Um, when you know that that people wrestle with but i think um the more that i i got connected um to the idea of story uh it just changed me it changed the way i want to live and it changed the way i want to preach so when we're talking about someone's personal story and i mean your story your personal story and how you teach and how you teach others to teach and all revolves around this idea story but this idea of knowing your own story. I and mean, do you think it's possible to lose the handle on the storyline of your own life? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. You know, even, even the idea of vocation, vocation is, you know, this, this ancient word of, you know, Parker Palmer will say, listen to your life. Mm -hmm. You know, can you hear the story that has been proclaimed and sung and written about through your actions, through your choices, yeah. through your environment. And oftentimes, uh, most people choose not to listen, right? There's, I, I think what people don't realize is that when they don't take a look at their own story, it, the story lacks coherence. Yes, yes. And I think what people are looking for, they say they're looking for purpose and meaning and, and, and all, but I think what they're really looking for is a way to tell themselves a coherent story. That's good. That's good. And about their own life. Like this, this has got to make sense somehow, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think people, people at the end of their life, they want to go, what did it account for? You know? And, um, and I think so many times, again, through how they perceived a conversation with a parent, how they perceived um, failing, how they perceive something, and then the stories that they told about that and interpreted. Then you watch people go, start living these lives. And I go, yeah, friend, you were never meant to live that life. Yeah, you're never no. meant to live out of that story. Exactly. Because it's, it's not only, sometimes we live out of the story somebody else tells us about ourselves. Yes. And then sometimes, even worse, we live out of a story we've told ourselves about ourselves. Yes. And sometimes those are brutal stories. The things we, that, that, that I say, okay, what's the, what are you telling yourself right now? You know, if, if, if someone's kind of looking at like a plan they would like to put in place for their future or, you know, a, a good thing that they would like to be able to start or do or whatever. So what, what's, what's the story you're telling yourself about, 
about yourself right now. Yeah. Well, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I'm not prepared. I'm not. Oh my gosh. And, and it's, it's amazing the kind of list people can make right off the top of their heads. Yep. So how do those stories change? How do those stories change? Um, Cause that's where, that's where rubber hits the road with, with, with a spiritual life. I think is we start telling ourselves a different story about who God is and who we are. Yep. Yep. I think it's a great, that's a great question. You know, I, I think there's a handful of ways, you know, um, one is just in the simple reframing, right? Um, when you begin to discover who you really are and whose you really are, there's, there's almost like a, it's like putting a different frame on a painting, you know, it just, it, 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 there's something else that kind of is, becomes the center of focus, you know, from a good frame. Um, I think another way is interrogating. Like I, I constantly am interrogating those, those things that I have perceived that I thought were true. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and sometimes that leads to moments of profound levels of grief or sadness, but mm-hmm. it's, it's because I have to be honest with, I perceived and interpreted it this way, which led to actions this way. And, and the more that you interrogate it, you go, man, ah, ah, you know, and, and so you, you, you learn from that. Um, and then I think, I think, you know, one of the other ways is almost creating these, I call them like story hacks, right? You, you, um, it's, it's maybe where there's been a, uh, even in our bodies, I think we carry, we carry our trauma, we carry our pain in our bodies though. I think we also carry um, how things are supposed to go. You know, it's almost like this, like a momentum. Um, this, is, this is how it's always been done. This is uh, how, you know, it's, 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 you know, last night we were having dinner and my daughter interrupted and started talking to my wife, to, to Sarah and my wife. And uh, they're, they're going back for four minutes. And what do I do with my left hand? I reach for the phone and I, 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 and I just start looking at a couple texts. Why? It's almost like this, this sense of that is what I do when I have space. I somehow reach for the phone. And I, I, I got to create a story hack there because I don't want that to be the case. I want to I be okay in the silence. I want to be okay not always having to, to be doing something or be busy. And so last night, I just I like confessed that to my wife. I'm like, man, this has been something I've been seeing in me. And then also just spent some time last night before I go to bed and I'm like, okay, what, what can I actually do about this? Mm-hmm. You know? And, and so again, uh, sometimes then like, depending on our, our childhood, we're like, I'm going to go uber fundamentalist, you know, I'm going to create the biggest regime, you know, boundaries and guard, maybe, maybe, but, but I think it's in some ways for me, it was just, just getting curious, mm-hmm. being kind to myself and realizing gosh, there's a, what else is going on that would make me want to escape and just mm-hmm. not be fully present right now. So it's, it's really in that kind of interrogation, curiosity, but then like story hacking and going, there's another way that I could actually uh, choose to act. And it's not reaching for the phone. It's, it's literally watching my wife delight in my daughter's questions. I could just, mm-hmm. I could just watch that. So that's another piece. Last one I'll say, and then I'll be done. But the, 
Hitler was an amazing artist, amazing artist. I mean, he literally left Germany, goes to Vienna, takes like his inheritance, goes to Vienna, goes to the best art school, and like people like rave about his art. He graduates, like one of the top of class, goes back to Germany. And Stephen Pressfield, the, the author of The Legend of Baggard Vance, um, he's an amazing writer, but he wrote a book on creativity. And he says that uh, the difference between professionals and amateurs is amateurs don't know what to do with resistance. Most people shy away from resistance. But on the other side of resistance is the best kind of stuff. I mean, it's, it's where resurrection happens. It's, 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 it's where this newfound freedom comes. You just got to get through uh, those crucible moments, right? You got to get through that wall. And, and, and here's the thing. He writes, and he says this, that it was easier for Hitler to start world wars than it was for him to face a blank canvas. And you just, just, just think about that, you know? And I think, I think um, a lot of times when we don't have our story and our desires and our dreams in check, um, we end up just imploding within and we end up doing great damage, not just to ourselves or to our families, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of collateral damage. You know, and so that's where I think the importance of it is. So. Yeah, I was just listening to a story where um, a person just did not have a good upbringing, some very abusive relationships in the family of origin and all. And she realizes when she gets triggered, it's, it, it comes back with her own kids sometimes. And she apologizes, and, you know, does all the right stuff and all. But um, part of her lingering questions have to do with, um, you know, what do I do with the fact that I'm the, I'm, I'm the product of this? And good news, you know, of, of this family of origin that's, that's uh, dysfunctional in some ways. And then she changed the question to, um, to whom do I belong? Mm. And in our conversation, then I said, well, I think you know the answer to whom you belong. So what's the next question? After that, let's, let's, well, something, something along the lines of how do I live out of the fact that I know I belong to God? That's good. That's good. And so that overarching storyline of that, that we're a part of this, this redemption storyline that is beyond our control. It's just is. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> that we are. And it is a, um, it's a choice to live into it. And that reframes all kinds of things. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And then the question is, who do we see God to be? Um, do I see some, do I see him as, as, as interested in helping me to live into that redemption story? Um, and a lot of times the perception of God is all part of the, the kind of hairy ball of mess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the midst of it. So, in fact, another question I ask someone, uh, ask people on the podcast here is, um, what were your early perceptions of who God is? Yeah, so I, didn't, again, didn't grow up in a Christian home. And... Um, but my mom, she grew up in the projects of New York. And so uh, when they moved to the West Coast, I mean, her, she had a bad experience in public school and so put me in a parochial school. 
So um, my, my understanding of the Bible and God was that it was a class similar to English. Um, it wasn't until I, in seventh grade, started to see some people that were different in high school that I wanted to be like. Um, but I, I think for me, I had such a, a unique relationship. My, my biological father bailed. And so even the dad I talked about who recently died, um, that was my adopted father. And so I, I had this, like, I'd hear God as father. And I, I was like wondering, mm because my, the story that was told to me was that my dad bailed. And I think part of my three on the Enneagram, the achiever was you got to be so good so that nobody ever leaves. And I think in this sense of uh, early on, I, I heard this beautiful story about how God wanted to get closer and closer and closer and closer to me. And, and I, I think I just was able to hear that um, in a way that didn't make sense. And then I, and then God had surrounded me with these amazing mentors, um, these women and men and this little church, like I just loved. And I, I saw them wanting to get closer and closer to me. And so I, I didn't really, I didn't really grow up having to um, really unlearn a lot of things about God. Um, it's one of one of the the, the great gifts, um, but I, I had I had a lot of family stuff I had to unlearn. And now, as I get older, I, as I as I started to go to college, Bible college, there's things that I've had to unlearn. Um, but I do think part of being a Talmudim, uh, a disciple, an apprentice of Jesus, is constantly recognizing, man, every day I want to learn, relearn, and unlearn some kind of things about who Jesus is, who God is, who the Holy Spirit is, who the church is. And, and I think not be afraid of that, but just go, man, keep teaching me, keep my heart, um, the right kind of soil that can cultivate the fruit of the spirit. So what's new territory for you in understanding who God is in, through your lived experience? <laughs> yeah. You know, um, so, so you obviously know a little bit of my story, um, in 2018, I stepped out of my dream job, like hands down. I love Chicagoland, doing stuff with the Bears. I love this congregation of Willow. I mean, I just, I, I had the best job in the world and I loved it. I saw myself there forever. And I really, really, if I'm, I'm honest, it, it's what I spent 20 years working for. Um, to be in a large city to be in a place of influence, to see God moving in so many different ways, uh, you know, to, to see, um, yeah, just there's there just so much I resonated with. Um, and, and obviously there's some difficult things that took place there and transpired. Um, and I ended up stepping out of this dream job and, and probably six, seven weeks after that, I woke up in the middle of the night and I felt like God say, seriously, and like, I, and I probably haven't had very many audible moments, but like I felt this, like I woke up and I felt this mm -hmm. go to the desert and wait for instructions. And I was like, what? And then I'm thinking, okay, okay. I know the Bible. Like I know Egypt, the, the desert, the wilderness, the promised land. Okay. Okay. Like you're metaphorically go to the desert. Okay. So I get up out of bed. I grab my journal. I just like 
right? Go to the desert, wait for instructions. And I felt like God say, you can't achieve your way out of this. You can only grieve your way through it. Mm. And Sharon, I, I, I didn't have a muscle for grief. I realized like in my, in my training, I didn't, I wasn't taught about lament. I wasn't, I wasn't taught about disappointment. I, I didn't have a ton of experiences of betrayal um, from the kingdom church perspective. I, I, I realized I had a muscle that I would put up against any other person uh, about achievement. Like I, I grew that muscle. And if you looked at my muscle when it came to grief, like I couldn't lift a pound. And so um, I, it hit me, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And the next morning I was making coffee for my wife and I just said, babe, I, I got to tell you the story. And, and as I told her, she just teared up and she said, I want to go home. And she's from Arizona. And one of my mentors the week before said, whatever you do, don't do anything just because you want to escape, do what your wife needs. And so all of a sudden I realized we're moving to the desert. <laughs> and so um, this has been a, this has been a season. Like this morning I, I hiked a huge mountain and it is a season of listening. It is a season of weeping. It is a season of, of learning what, what it means to feel forsaken, um, forgotten, what it means to experience grief and sadness, and yet in the midst of it all, experience a God who is with me and for me. And it doesn't make sense, um, probably even as I say it, um, but this has been uh, the deepest and richest season of my life. And I don't think I've achieved very much. So it's except profound levels of intimacy and healing that I never thought was possible. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Talk to me, teach me, yeah. teach me. Oh my goodness. Well, you're, you're talking to me and we're looking at each other on zoom. <laughs> our, you know, our listeners can't see that, but there's a, there's a surfboard against the wall in back of you. That's right. As you say, yes, we're going to the desert and there's just something about, um, this I, I I had an experience. Uh, I was ba I backpacked for five days with a couple other with uh, with four other women um, for in real close to Canada in Michigan, right around the Superior Trail. Awesome. And, uh, and I I was really hoping they they planned it as a spiritual trek, and. Um, I was really hoping to have one of those moments where I just sense God's presence so profoundly, you know, and the last day came around and, and it was pouring rain. We were drenched. I mean, so drenched. And I, and we hadn't been able to light a fire because everything was so wet the yeah. whole time we were trepping, trekking through mud, you know, and the good news is my boots were tall enough. <laughs> this last day it was running down in inside my rain jacket down my legs and into my boots and i was you know there was there was an inch of 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 water in my boots even and then we were crossing a high 
um, kind of a high open meadow and a lightning storm came up. I mean, to the point where, you know, lightning's just all over the place. It's pelting us with rain and you can feel your, the hair on your arms stand up and, and the whole deal. And along the way, I was, I was just kind of head down. We finally got to the, to the woods on the other side and, and I was, they, 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 we stopped at this particular place around this, uh, what would be a fire circle, right? <laughs> but there's no <laughs> fire to be found. There's no doubt. So we stopped there and they said, okay, we're going to send all of you out five minutes apart so you can go out in solitude and we'll meet, we'll meet at the, at the uh, end of this trail uh, where the sign is. And, and this huge tree fell, huge. I mean, it was like 20 yards from us. Good news is it fell the other way. And, um, you know, already we had had quite the experience and I'm, I'm like, okay, God, but I, along the way I'm taking pictures cause that's what I do. And by the way, yeah, this the whole thing about receiving images instead of taking them or capturing them is, is kind of an interesting thing that I had been thinking about in the midst of receiving these images. And a lot of the growth there was, was moss and all. And on this trek on the way out or in five minutes, it's, uh, in this five, the last, the last probably two miles or so, the trees, a lot of them had broken off about waist high. And the bark lasted longer than what was inside. So it had, to, it would been, it had been decayed on the inside. So I'm, I'm looking down into this stump and inside the stump with the bark that's, that's sticking up, it's like somebody planted a fairy garden in there. <laughs> it's wow. like there are, there's moss and there's mushrooms and there's little bugs and there's, you know, I mean, it's just like, are you, and, and, there, and there's water that's like a little lake in one part of it. <laughs> it was like, are you kidding me? I'm looking down into this whole thing, this whole ecosystem inside this fallen tree. And I had noticed all of the, because uh, it was so wet and there's so much, so many fallen trees, but all this life growing out of the fallen trees. Mm. And um, I just noticed, you know, God saying to me in the midst of all that, this is how it works. Right, right. Yeah, that, that the new, that this growth comes out of the, of the fallenness. And there is this cycle of, of death and life and resurrection and mm. even, and, um, and so that was a piece of it. Then there's the other piece of it. Like, God, I was really hoping I was going to have that moment of, of just that wash of your love that I have, I have known before. And I sensed him whispering to me, Sharon, all the beauty you've seen, it's all. And I love you. Yeah. Yeah. It's all. And I love you. And, those times of the desert and the decay and the, you know, are just these unexpected surprises. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You can't see on the front end, right? Well, and I think, I think, I think our problem often is, is for me at least, I'm not trying to speak for you. For me is I create an expectation and I begin to almost um, dictate how God is going to speak to me. Mm -hmm. so, so for instance, you know, I saw myself in Chicago 
this is, we were going to do this run together. It was going to be amazing. We were, you know, the city, the Northwest suburb, Chicago land, like third largest city in the U S like, God, we're going to get to do stuff together. And I, and I, all of a sudden, instead of being in the present, I'm, I'm like 20 years down the road. And I, that, that machine has like, that train has left the station. Right. And I think what's so incredible is what you're saying is um, how you're just walking and, and it's like pouring rain and there's this moment and you had this expectation. I got, mm. I need, I need a word. I need a word. And it's like, and then you see it like your eyes were open to see the, how things truly work. And I think sometimes when our, our mind is so fixated and our heart is so fixated on the expectation um, coming to full reality, um, we often miss those moments where God's just saying, with, be with me, mm-hmm. um, enjoy this. It's all and I love you. It's all and I love you. It's all and I love you. Um, there's this, there's, I don't know if you've been to Nashville, but mm-hmm. um, Johnny Cash, I'm a, I'm a huge Johnny Cash fan, but Johnny Cash uh, built a home right next to Roy Orbison's house. Mm-hmm. And Roy Orbison gave Johnny like his architect. And, John, and so Roy Orbison had his house. And then he also had this, this party house next door, which is like mo- most of like, the greatest songs in the sixties were written supposedly in this party house. And um, one day Roy Orbison's on tour and his two boys are playing with fireworks and they burn the house down and the two boys die. Mm. Roy Orbison comes back and he's already lost his wife a year earlier in a car accident. And he comes back and he just, he looks at Johnny and just said, I can't rebuild here, but I, I, uh, I don't want anything to be built here. Um, I'll sell you the property, Johnny. Just promise me you won't build anything. And Johnny goes, okay. He buys the property for a dollar. So they've got the party house still there and Roy, every once would come there. People would come, you know, the Bob Dylan's, the Tom Petty's and all the, all the, all the writers, you know, and they, they'd write these songs. And Johnny decides, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plant a garden. Mm-hmm. So he tills the land, tries to plant a garden. And the legend says that um, nothing grows. So then he, he calls up all of these like spiritual leaders in Nashville, and they gather on the property, and they just pray. They say within six weeks, all of this new life begins to grow, like fruit trees and all of this life. We fast forward a number of years. And Johnny sells his house to the Bee Gees, I think to Barry Gibb. And, and Gibb pushes his workers so hard that one of the workers either falls asleep with a blowtorch or intentionally burns Johnny Cash's house down. So now you've got, on, like to this day, if you go to this property, you have this party house that's like memories of like, the most crazy times you've got a picture of Johnny's house that is like still just rubble. 
Like I, I actually took like a chunk of the house and then like, I have it in my office. Like I just took a, a rock of it and, and it's just rubble. And then you've got this garden and there's this Celtic cross on the property. that's like on the gate and these blackbirds, which is symbolic, like in the most bizarre way of Johnny cash. Mm-hmm. And even um, there's been writers like Nashville songwriters who just talk about how these blackbirds just hover over this garden. And, and I just sit there and I remember like meeting with the church in, in like Tennessee that had just gone through a, just a, just a difficult time. And I just said, Hey, here's the, here's the crazy thing. And I tell them this story and I just said, you know, you're going to find yourself with the temptation to try and recreate the past or you're going to try and escape it and you're going to push so hard and it's just going to burn to the ground. Mm -hmm. Or you can actually, just like you said, engage with the truth of death, burial, resurrection. I promise you, promise you God's goodness, um, God's healing, God's redemption, God's grace. Um, God's love um, can do something new. But you, the bigger question is, will you let him? Mm-hmm. Will you let him? You know, and, and that, often, that often allows you to have to go to those desert places. It has to have you go through those long spiritual treks and the rain and wondering. And then you have those moments where you, you see and you sense, it's all I love you. It's all I love you. And, and you realize in the, in the trajectory of formation, we all love the simple tweetable phrases, you know, God is with me. But then like you go through the fire, the struggle, the suffering, and you wonder, does it hold up? And when you discover that God is with you, that little cheesy tweetable three words now has gone through the suffering and the struggle and it becomes profoundly weighty and profoundly sacred. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think that's, that can't be microwaved. You can't bypass that. Um, it, 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 it's just part of the story. And I think part of it is just learning to surrender to it and let them kind of do what he does, which is restoration which is renewal, which is just doing a new thing in you. Yeah. It's kind of like trusting the storyline. Yes. The storyline of redemption. Yes. 100. Yes. That's amazing. Well, Steve, once again, I just love talking to you. I just, <laughs> I just do. I just do. It's always good. Always good. So tell it's me. Always, it's, it's always a good podcast when you forget that you're actually on a podcast. It's just like you're talking with a friend and you're like, Oh, wait, I forgot. This is a podcast. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry. It was a pretty good podcast. Yeah, I like it. I like it. <laughs> so anyway, tell people, I, you're, you're doing quite a few different things. Not only are you equipping uh, communicators, um, and you are an itinerant teacher via Zoom or in person, hopefully, again soon, right? We'll see, we'll see. Yeah, and you're the author of um, this Invitational Life, which is available wherever fine books are sold, I'm sure. <laughs> and um, you got the Home Team Podcast, which we mentioned, which if you like, if you like to talk about some sports and life, it's there. And the Evening Psalms, say a few words about that and, and tell people how they can 
find that? Yes. Um, so uh, when all of uh, COVID hit, um, I, just, I just felt like people were sending me messages saying, Steve, what do I do? I, I just, I, I'm, I'm feeling afraid or I feel scared or I, I, I don't know. And, um, and, and I just, I found myself every morning just reading a Psalm and it's, it's prayer training. It's, it's a, it's a, it's just a, a great school to go through. And I decided, Hey, in my chair, I read a Psalm each morning and just offer up a few thoughts. I'm not, I'm not literally like trying to study. It's not a message. It's just me hearing from God and kind of reflecting and, and just sharing the word. And um, I just started like putting it on Instagram and people started listening. So it's just become this evening Psalms thing. I probably shouldn't have chose the, the longest book in the Bible. Um, so we're at Psalm 64 tonight. Um, mm-hmm. So we're, 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 we're making our way through, um, which has been good. Maybe COVID will be over with by the time you finish. <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. If we can get a vaccination by Psalm 150, this will be a win. Um, it, will be, it will be good. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's, that's, that's what we're doing. So, and then, yeah. Um, really, oh, really. It's also on Facebook. Yes, it is. It is. Um, well, Facebook has banned me for some apparent reason. I have no idea. Um, they can't locate my actual location, which does not make sense. There's just some glitch in the system. And they don't have a customer service line, so we're trying to figure that out. So it's pretty, it's pretty comical, but um, we'll see. someday, maybe, 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 maybe Mark Zuckerberg listens to this podcast and he can he can pull a few. Does anybody know up. how we can fix that? Yeah, exactly. I know somebody's doing their thesis on on on. Wow, that that stuff. So anyway, yeah. I'll yeah. ask her about it. But anyway, thank you, thank, thank you. 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 My oh, friends. and the website. Which website would? Uh, oh yeah, steveryancarter.com. Steve, Steve Ryan Carter. Ryan Carter. And then you're working on a new one that's just stevecarter.com, right? Uh, dot org. Stevecarter.org. Yep. So Carter.org. Yeah. yeah. That's a good thing. So thanks again. And everyone, we're just so grateful. Um, just join me in in blessing Steve and his family and as they as they live in the midst of the blessings of the desert, um, trusting um, for some interesting not only noticing the life that's there, but the new life that's to come. So um, yeah, we've got some different things going on. We've got a virtual uh, coaching groups that are, that are going to be coming up. We've got some virtual um, workshops and mini retreats. So check the website at onelifemaps.com. And um, yeah, the voice on the back end that's going to play after this is edited, Steve, is, is going to be Matt's voice. Come on. Love that guy. Yeah. And he's going to edit the podcast for us. So say hi to Matt. Awesome. Matt, I love you. Thanks for all you do. Proud of you, buddy. (laughs) Okay. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. This podcast is sponsored by OneLifeMaps.com, creators of unique visual life mapping materials titled, Listen to My Life, Maps for Recognizing and Responding to God in My Story. Go to OneLifeMaps.com to purchase your Listen to My Life portfolio of visual life maps. While you're there, check out our upcoming virtual coaching groups, live workshops, and options for you to facilitate the Listen to My Life experience with others. That's onelifemaps.com. O-N-E-L-I-F-E-M-A-P-S dot com. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with others. You can help support this podcast and the work of One Life Maps by supporting us on Patreon. 
go to www.patreon.com slash onelifemaps to pledge $5 or more per month and get weekly audio meditations to help you recognize and respond to God in your story. Thank you for tuning in to the One Life Maps podcast. Until next time, make the most of this one life that you've been gifted. Thank you.